It had been a long time coming, but 2010 stroke 2011 marked what was certain to be my last year of university, and I must say I was beyond excited. Not only was I more determined than ever to see it out by working as hard as I possibly could, but it really was my last chance in matter of attempts. I couldn't afford any more slip-ups, and being demotivated and lazy was out of the question. If I wanted to pursue my dreams and do what I did best, I had to leave with a 2-1 minimum and hone my craft attending every class because at the end of the day, I knew I was good, but much of my talent was raw and needed harnessing and developing, especially if I truly wanted to be a stage actor. However, my first port of call was finding somewhere new to live. It was once again an impulsive decision, considering I'd only lived across the road from blockbusters in my current place for only two weeks. But it turned out to be two weeks too long for me. My housemates, although I knew them, turned out to be quite unbearably messy. And I can't say I ever cooked over that two week period because of the state of the kitchen. I had nothing against them either. If I did, I certainly wouldn't have lived there. But the house consistently had an aroma of aromatic spices and B.O. which became overbearing and rather annoying, particularly when I was getting ready for work. I can't wear this. Fucking stinks, man. I couldn't tell you the amount of times people asked Cool, blimey, what's that smell? Or Smells a bit poggy there Whenever I was around It wasn't nice Or at all pleasant But rather than moan or complain about it I tolerated it Because I couldn't afford to uproot myself again So close to term The final straw came though When I attempted to do some work one evening and halfway through, the electrics cut out, shrouding me in darkness. Yo, what the? Oh my, no, man. I had once again moved into a house that operated on an electric key meter basis. And the realization of such sent me over the edge. Not only do I stink all the time, I can't do my flipping work. I'm not staying here anymore. And I demanded a sit down meeting with the landlord and subsequently told him I was going to find somewhere else to live as a result. Why have you got us living here on a key meter? You didn't tell me any of this stuff. And furthermore, it stinks in here. I haven't cooked in here once since I've been here. I'm not doing it anymore, I'm out. I want my deposit back. He didn't stop me and certainly made no attempts to. So if there'd been any doubts, his attitude dispelled them and I knew I was doing the right thing. Flipping hell, man. But enough of this shit. I'll just find one decent place to live right now. It's just taking a piss. And it fucking stinks in here! Shit, man. You're out of your mind if you think I'm staying here, man. Fuck. Within two days, I had found somewhere new to live. Albeit with total strangers. But it was extremely close to uni, sharing the same road. So march my things round to my new house. Without a care, in the world. 
Blockbusters had gone through a dramatic change over the last few months too. Following Leanne's departure, many of the staff left as they had also come to the end of their degrees, including Lauren. It was a very sad day for me when Lauren left. She'd been my confidant and voice of reason. And not only that, but a really good friend. And I would like to think I was there for her as much as she'd been there for me. Although I knew deep down we weren't even by any stretch. Over the course of those three years plus that I'd known Lauren, where I'd made a number of foolish decisions and choices over time, I'd also been spared a fair few also. And without her taking an interest in my life and guidance, who knows what might have happened sometimes. It was doubly hard for me too, because I knew how I operated. We'd still speak for about a month, maybe meet up on occasion, but that would be it. It was more than inevitable too, because I found it hard enough keeping in contact with people I didn't see as much as it was already. And my life was littered with people that I'd grown close to and subsequently lost. It's a two-way street, of course. I was never going to ignore someone if they reached out to me to talk or meet up. But nine times out of ten, they never reached out. So neither did I. It wasn't always premeditated. It's not like I sat there and decided that I wasn't going to talk to so-and-so again just because they hadn't messaged me. It wasn't like that. But I'd seen enough over the years to know how things would end up. And rightly or wrongly, I assumed the same thing would happen with Lauren once she left. And without any real effort made on both our parts, the communication dried up and the formidable partnership was no more. It makes me sound like I was incredibly ungrateful, as if I used people for my own gain, and I never wanted to come across like that. I truly appreciated everyone that took the time to take an interest in anything I had to say or do, but I had serious attachment issues, and there was no way I could allow myself to get close to anyone, or at the very least, rely on them. They say no man is an island, but I disagreed. I didn't need anyone for anything, certainly nothing that involved emotion or sentimentality. The next two girls I slept with proved that. Beth Nair came first. She was one of the next batch of staff brought in to replace those who had just left and can only be described as a younger version of Nigella Lawson, just less buxomly. It took me just under a month to sleep with her, which came as a surprise, not because of how long it took, but because I actually didn't like her at all when she started. You see, 
Working at Blockbusters wasn't hard by any stretch. So I'm not gonna sugarcoat it and say it took real brains. Any trained monkey could have done it. But she made it seem extra difficult. And with such a drastic change of personnel in such a short period of time, I really had no patience carrying people or any need to do more work than was necessary. But after working with her pretty much all of her first week, I'm bluntly told David she wasn't going to last. But we were short-staffed. And no matter how shit she was at pressing a few keys on a computer or finding discs in alphabetical order, he was never going to get rid of her. <laughs> You're the one that's training her, mate. He laughed. So what does that say about you? <laughs> yeah, right. I laughed back. And, in case you forgot, I am the best one here. It took me a week to get the hang of things, so don't give me that. Exactly. So that's why I need you to make an effort and be fair. Not everyone is like you. And the sooner you realize that, the better. David obviously offered me some sound advice there. But I was too focused on the fact he'd said I was the best to listen to anything else he said. There was no consideration as to whether he meant it or not. I didn't care about that. But every compliment was like oxygen to me. And it only served to inflate an already large ego, even more so. By David's admission, I was the only one who could train Beth. And even though I strongly believed she was beyond help, I sucked it up and did as instructed. Victim of my own success. Come on then. It did, however, continue to be tough. But had I not seen her bend over to pick up a stack of DVDs one shift and accidentally saw her knickers ride up like a cheese wire, I probably wouldn't have paid her any attention whatsoever. It wasn't like I had any particular preference over bums or boobs. I'd been with many girls with exceptions to both. There were some with too much of one and not the other. Or maybe too much, not enough of both. But I hadn't overly cared, just as long as there was some attraction. That being the case, I'm not too sure what made me put aside my dislike of Beth on account of her rather large but perky bum. Was it actually within my repertoire to actually do the humpy pumpy with someone I did not like? It seemed impossible, but the mere fact it seemed unlikely made me more determined to see it through. That was literally all it took to go from one side of the spectrum to the other, to feed that desire to once again push my luck and basically shit on my own doorstep. I then subsequently started to flirt with her and then we exchanged numbers. 
under the guise that if she ever needed a shift covered, she could let me know. The poor girl had no idea what she was up against. And within a matter of weeks, I'd gone full throttle and been invited over to her house to watch a DVD one evening. She never once came out and admitted she liked me prior to all this. But I just knew in the pit of my stomach that she did. And that self-belief was all the clarification I needed. And lo and behold, it didn't take long before her and I were arriving around naked. I probably only slept with her a couple of times, and that was only because I lost interest. The sex itself was alright, considering that's all it was, but things came to a very abrupt end when I couldn't stand the talking and asking me questions during sex anymore. How was your day? Yeah, it was alright, thanks. Yours? Sometimes, it wasn't even related to what was going on. It could be anything from her day. Yeah, was just a bit busy at work today. We had this guy come in that... What I'd been up to. Yeah, just... just stuff, Beth. Or some drama involving her friends. And then? Yeah. Stacy's been crying all weekend because her boyfriend's been cheating on no her. No way. But we told her he can't be trusted. Mm -hmm. Everything's such a mess, you know? Yeah, I know. Listen, never mind in it, but we'll come back to this in a second, yeah. And as you can imagine, it was a bit off-putting at times. At first, I just scrunched up my eyes and thought of someone else to drown out her jabbering. But I wasn't the most tactful doing so. I also could have just told her to shut up, but I was always caught in the moment, so being rude wasn't really in my best interest, considering I was being seen to. However, it got too much for me, and decided on my way home after a late night session that I would have to back off from her for a bit. But after a week of diminished communication, I stopped talking to her altogether for the reasons already given, but also because she made me feel super awkward, always requesting we do more things together, and I was running out of excuses as to why I couldn't. I wasn't in a position to say I was working all the time, as she struck me as the type to potentially check. So after the fifth or sixth decline, I just stopped responding to her altogether. It wasn't a wise move, by any stretch, but I could do what I wanted, and my conscience was clear. Of course, my behaviour made things a lot more awkward than was probably necessary, and in the end, Beth told David, who agreed by her request not to work the same shifts with me. This was the second time a member of staff had asked for that, and he wasn't best pleased with me. But I was beyond talking to him, and was adamant that if he had to be pissed off with anyone, it had to be her. 
Mate, you really need to learn to keep it in your pants. He told me, sternly. I have a business to run. I can't afford to have any more staffing problems at the moment. Oh, yeah, whatever, David. Flipping hell. I replied, dismissively. This is dumb. Seriously, it really is. Because you know what? I never asked her to speak to you in the first place. It's got nothing to do with you whatsoever. It's not affecting my work. So all this you're doing right now, there's no need for any of it. And you know what? Since I were giving that advice, maybe, maybe have a word with her about keeping her emotions in check rather than blaming me all the time. Yeah? How about that? I could see I'd hurt his feelings, sounding off in that way. Especially since in the four years I'd known him, I'd never spoken to him with such contempt and annoyance before. But at the time, I strongly believed he very much deserved it. I never asked him to interfere, and I no longer needed guidance. He wasn't my father, and because I was so popular, it was easy to use me as a scapegoat, and I wouldn't settle for it. Maybe he thought talking to me in such a way would knock some sense into me. But I was too stubborn and loving life to let the feelings of a video shop manager and his staff derail my ambitions and persona. He left me alone for a while subsequently, which was probably best. And I went about my business at work with my head held high. I never talked to Beth again and I have no idea what she's doing or where she is. But to be honest with you, I'm not that concerned. I didn't like her at the time. I still don't know. So the less I say about her, the better. I probably should never ignore her though. I understand that now, but her actions and motor mouth, telling everyone how hard done by she was, wasn't cool. And as a result, the first small crack between David and I appeared. Yes, I had slept with someone I didn't like in a very short turnaround period. And it proved costly somewhat to my reputation and relationship with some people. But my level of arrogance was nowhere near its limits and it would take a lot more than a problem with another girl at Blockbusters to stop me. I remember when I first met Claire Groves. It was during Freshers Week on campus when I was asked to give a presentation on drama at degree level. <clears throat> Test, one, one, two, two, one, two, three. three. I had no issue talking to a room full of people or a room full of first years, as they were more scared of me and the upcoming year than I could ever be of them. But I jumped at the opportunity because it also gave me a chance to survey and cast my eye over the talent available. Hmm, what's going on here then? Claire was very pretty. That much I noticed, almost immediately when I first saw her. 18, from Massachusetts. Blonde, leggy, and 5'5", 
with incredibly effervescent blue eyes. Claire was a spitting image of Hannah Montana before she went crazy. But there were other girls in that hall that were just as appealing, if not more so. And has she not been overly inquisitive and put me on the spot with so many questions that day? I wouldn't have met her or noticed her at all. She introduced herself properly after the presentation, apologising for all the questions and being awkward. Although she was stunning, I couldn't stand the accent, which to me made her come across as quite ditzy and dim. But once I got talking to her, I realised she was anything but. We talked a bit more, and I found out that she was a professional ballroom dancer, which explained the glorious figure. It was at that moment I decided she was my next conquest. I'd never got with a fresher before, so she would be someone new to add to my list. But I had to test the water first, because for the first time in a long time, I couldn't read her whatsoever. After what turned into a half an hour conversation, I soon got the impression, however, that she was trying to size me up, find out more about me, almost as if she was interested after all. So I cutely offered her my number in case she needed help with essays or a tour guide around campus. Unsurprisingly, she took it, and I heard from her later that day by text, but it was only general chit-chat. She obviously liked me, so I convinced myself that her eagerness was all the proof and evidence I needed. I then gave it a few more days before taking a leap and invited her over for a drink and a film, to which she duly agreed. Yep, I had it all planned out. We drink a bit, eat some crappy food before chatting some more and settling down to watch a film. Toy Story 3, as she was an avid Disney enthusiast. And once comfortable, I'd make my move, stroke her back to make her relax. And all the rest, you can guess. It was foolproof, tried and tested loads of times, and I never failed since bringing it into practice. But I tell you what, I failed miserably that night. You know we are just friends, right? She told me as we laid down on my single bed to watch the film. I know all about you third-year guys. I've already been warned. Particularly about you. About me? What's that supposed to mean? I'm not saying anything more. Shouldn't have even told you that. Just don't try anything, otherwise I'll leave. <laughs> what? You've got me all wrong, Claire. I'm not even like that. I lied. Someone had obviously been talking. And as a result, I'd been cock-blocked. Even if I charmed my way into her pants another way, it wasn't worth the risk. I'd only known the girl a week 
and already she was wise to me. I had a whole year group of girls to try and mack and interfere with. So it was juvenile to throw that all away on one girl who was guaranteed to squeal, whether I got with her or not. No. Mm -mm. I would take a loss. I knew I couldn't win them all. And I let Claire stick me in the friend zone. It was for the best in the long term. I could foresee that. But on the flip side, it meant I got no sex in the short term, which wasn't so good. And when she left to go home, I decided that any girls related to university drama as a whole were now out of bounds. I'd plundered my way through more than enough of them. And as I was still a very popular, well-known student around uni, I'd been fortunate up until now not to have someone bitter and twisted grasp me up and my luck was sure to change. I had to make up for the missed sex with Claire as soon as I could and someone, anyone, unconnected to drama would have to take her place.